This is Husker Sports Network Originals, presented by JTEC Construction, the official exterior experts of Husker Nation. Husker Sports Network Originals tell iconic stories from Husker history, featuring insights from the players and coaches who live them. Subscribe to the Husker Sports Network on your favorite podcast service. And now, Brooke, the life of a Husker legend. Well, a lot of things go through my mind when I think of, of Brooke. I remember watching him play, obviously, in high school, growing up in this state, being a huge Husker fan, uh, seeing the way he handled himself as a Husker, um, all the things that he did off the field to give back to the community. When I really feel Brooke's presence is uh, whenever I get a chance to go out, you know, pheasant or quail hunting, and uh, those many, many times that he and I were together. I think when you're 18 to 21 years old, you always think you're going to live forever. And then when that doesn't happen and you see see that in a teammate, somebody you know, uh, a lot of guys at that point kind of reflected on uh, where their life was headed. I mean, he was just about, you know, competing and being a great teammate on the field. You know, so when, you, when you're around a, a guy that's that, I call it viciously competitive when they're on the field, you know, it's infectious. For Nebraska football fans, that had a 9-11 day feel to it that afternoon and, you know, for the days that followed. It, it really did. This tragic story now being reported from Lincoln, Nebraska. Brooke Beringer, Nebraska Cornhusker quarterback, is reported as killed today. The tragic death of Brooke Beringer, the Nebraska quarterback, was killed when a two-seat plane he was piloting crashed in Raymond, Nebraska today. Beringer on the field stepped in for the injured Tommy Frazier in the 94 season. He won seven games as a starter for that number one team. He had a pilot's license and often flew this 50-year-old plane. But Brooke Beringer was 22 years of age. Brooke Behringer is a Husker icon, and it wasn't just because of his accomplishments or toughness on the football field. To number 18, his time spent at Nebraska stretched well beyond the goal line. This is Brooke, the life of a Husker legend. The first exposure I had to Brooke was not uh, via a video. He came up to our football camp, and... Um, he would, it would have been between his junior and senior year, I believe, in high school. And um, he uh, impressed me because he was a, a good athlete. He was pretty tall, probably close to 6'4", and I imagine at that time probably 185 pounds. But he ran pretty well, and he was a good thrower, and a um, little town of Goodland, Kansas. So I don't think he probably ever played in front of more than two, three, four hundred 400 fans at any one time. And then we did get some film on him, and we thought he looked good. And then I went down and watched him play basketball. And he was a very good basketball player, very good athlete. So we, we offered him a scholarship. I think Ron Brown was the primary recruiter. And so uh, he came. You know, I, I think most people know um, that he was born in Scott's Bluff. So uh, this was kind of a co homecoming for him. You know, the, the interesting thing about his recruitment was that Goodland, Kansas is kind of isolated, you know, kind of like Scott's Bluff. And I know he was offered by a number of big eight schools, but, 
you know, I, I wonder what he, you know, where he would have gone had he been in a, a more centralized or, or more identifiable location. You know, so I, I, I had studied him a little bit, yes, and I saw him before he played and before he took the first, his first snap, for sure. It would have been at our, our first uh, gathering of, uh, of, of our team, the recruiting class in 1991, and I'd only seen, uh, you know, pictures of Brooke, headshots and such. At that, at that point in time, we don't have the luxury of what kids have today of watching high school tape and, you know, their own YouTube channels and everything else. But the thing that caught me is he's uh, – you know, he was uh, he was about my height. He was about six foot four. He was a good looking guy and uh, uh, had a uh, kind of a distinct walk about him, if you would. He just kind of uh, walked uh, straight and tall and his shoulders back and um, kind of a long stride. And just remember his uh, his quick, quick wit. And uh, he was he was a funny guy. And he told some of the funniest stories ever to us all. But, you know, he, he's a impressive at 18. Uh, you know, at 18 years of age, he, he certainly somebody would look at and go, "That that guy's uh, he's a stud." Yeah, I I remember um, specifically uh, hearing about him because he was highly recruited. I know a lot of Big Eight teams were recruiting him, and it was uh, you know at that time you can imagine uh, kind of the quarterback scenario. You know, he was a year younger than me, and he uh, actually came in and was competing with, you know, probably one of the best option quarterbacks in the nation. So, you know, every time there was mention of a quarterback, everybody was very interested because how that would play out in the competition and what it looked like for our offensive scheme uh, moving forward. Just full of personality, just a unbelievable kind of persona about him. Great smile, great humor about him, uh, very friendly. Uh, and he actually was uh, very, very close with uh, Aaron Graham, who I played with. And, you know, so we hung out quite a bit, both Brooke, uh, Phil Ellis, and Aaron. All those guys lived together. So, you know, we'd be over at their house, you know, just hanging out or going fishing, hunting, those type of things. Beringer redshirted in 1991 and in 1992 played in just a handful of games. To that point, Brooke was a relatively unknown quantity. Frazier was the star, and Brooke had to take a back seat. Was he on my radar as a backup quarterback or before he ever played? Yeah, I mean, I guess the first thing, you know, in this business you want to know is how do you pronounce the guy's name? Yeah, for most people, or a lot of people still today, they call him Behringer, you know. So I looked at that roster, and I thought, hmm, i got to find out how you pronounce it. And so I knew it was Behringer all the way, but... um you know, it's your job when you do the radio play-by-play to know a little bit of something about every player when they, even when they, when they get here, as you know. And so I watched him, you know, in spring ball and in scrimmages, and you know, was attuned to what Coach Osborne was saying about him and his potential and his raw skills. So I feel like I did know something about him. The first game of the season in '93, I think, was North Texas, and if I'm if I remember correctly, Tommy Frazier sprained his ankle, like you know, immediately when the game started. So Tommy is hurt. We'll send Jim Rose to find out what happened. Behringer under center at the 40 of Nebraska opening series of the game. Snap to Brooke. The give is to Calvin. 45-50. Big move. 45-40, and down to the 37-yard line. Osborne keeps it simple, simple for Behringer's first uh, playoff. The simple handoff is he's into the ball game in relief for Fraser. Brent sent for Nebraska. Behringer fade pass. Dixon's got it. Five in there for the touchdown. Touchdown. 
Thompson. Double tight ends. Flanker right side for the Cornhuskers. And the snap. Berenger on an option. Drops back to four out of it. He's got Reggie Ball deep. And it's complete inside the five-yard line. A diving grab by Reggie Ball. First and goal of the three. Berenger waiting for the snap with a long starting count. Huskers have the ball. And it's an option play. And Berenger gets in. And cuts. Touchdown. Quick Berenger. And so he got in in that first game in 93. And I think everybody's eyebrows raised a little bit because he was, you know, he was perfect. He was, uh, he was perfect throwing the ball that day. He was 7 for 7, threw for 124 yards, and that accounted for more than half of the yards that he threw for all year long in 93. And he, he rushed for – he uh, had one touchdown pass and rushed for two others in that game. So, yeah, you know, he, he got a, 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 some early action early in the season. And then – when Tony Veland in the second game was lost for the year, he became the number two. And so, you know, he didn't play that much in 93. But I think that first game is, is the one I remember the most. Brooke knew he was talented, but he didn't have much of an opportunity on the field to showcase it. In candid conversations with teammates, Beringer admitted maybe it was time for a change. For sure it did. And, you know, there was one particular time where he and I were outside the house on 22nd and Vine that we rented and, you know, I remember leaning up against, we were leaning up against this, uh, he drove a, a Mustang and uh, his arms are crossed and he's, he was just like, I, 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 th- I think I'm ready to transfer. I, I don't want to play this game. I, uh, you know, I don't want to play my entire college career backing up Tommy. And I remember just encouraging him to, to hang in there and you never knew what could happen. and. So glad he he didn't make that decision to transfer, and and I and I'd also just add that in today's environment with this transfer portal, I've had this conversation with several of my teammates, um, including recently just with Brendan Stye, who you know didn't start until his junior year because he was backing up on the greatest lineman ever uh, in the entire game, and that was Will Shields. And I told Brendan, I said, you know, if we had that transfer portal today, you wouldn't have been there. And he said, well, I don't know. And I said, and then he finally agreed, said, no, you're probably right. And I said, I know I'm right. And and I'm also right in the fact that if that transfer portal was there at the time Brooke Baring was there, he most likely would have left, you know, about that sophomore year. And I probably wouldn't blame him. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, Mark Gilman, who came in with Brooke, uh, Mark was my roommate, and Mark was talking about the same thing. And it was, it was a different conversation with Mark because Mark, you know, he, he still was learning how to – play the game of football as far as uh, getting tough because it is a violent game and he was tired of being injured or bruised up and battered and he wanted to go play basketball and Brooke was a tremendous basketball player as well and the two of them I remember uh, the conversations were about uh, transferring and Brooke was for more about going to a place where you know he might have the ability to play right away and you know Aaron and I you know those conversations uh, you know were both to Mark and Brooke you know, the same message is, you know, I mean, if you stick it out, uh, it'll pay off. And, you know, we're going to get this national championship one way or another, and you're going to be a part of something special. Beringer showed some glimpses of the player he could be in that 1993 season. He played in every game that year, save for Oklahoma, throwing for over 200 yards, a pair of touchdowns, and one interception. But Brooke didn't get his real time to shine until the following season. You know, it was pretty somber. I'll never forget the day Coach Osborne came out. Actually, it was right after practice, and 
you know, we huddled together as an offensive line group and just kind of made our minds up that we were going to take the reins, but certainly missing our leader and Tommy, <laughs> you know, that was a huge uphill battle. And, but we knew because in practice, you know, believe me, uh, the competition was always, was always right there. Well, as you can imagine, everybody was concerned. Every foot, Husker football fan was concerned and curious as to, you know, how this would change the complexion of what Nebraska looked like offensively because the two guys were, were different kinds of quarterbacks and nobody knew what would happen uh, without Tommy. Now with Nebraska football, here's Kent Pavelka. Hi again, everybody, and welcome to University of Nebraska football. A tumultuous week, if you will, has passed since our last visit. It has not been business as usual since the Cornhuskers disposed of the University of Pacific last Saturday here in Lincoln. And as Nebraska tests the Wyoming Cowboys this afternoon, it's going to be done without Heisman Trophy candidate Tommy Frazier. So Husker fans come into Memorial Stadium today and they fine-tune their radios across the country before kickoff, wondering what effect Frazier's absence will have on the Big Red. And Brooke Beringer, and note, it is Beringer, not Beringer or Beringer, but Brooke Beringer becomes the focus. The six-foot-four-inch, 210-pound junior from Goodland, Kansas, becomes the starting quarterback. Thrust into the spotlight by default with an opportunity today to silence some who have said all year long that Nebraska would be nothing without Tommy Frazier. And Wyoming was ahead in that first game, 21-7. And it was at that point when Barringer stepped up late in the first half. And I remember right before the first half, the Huskers went on a, a scoring drive. He finished it on, on, I think, a four or five-yard run just before halftime. Double tight ends, tight wing left is Cluster. Full back is Schlesinger. Cluster's in motion left to right before the snap. Barringer, long starting count, takes the snap, takes the counter, boots to the right side, he'll run it all the way, he's in there! Touchdown! Touchdown! Brooke Barringer! Touchdown! The seven for seven throwing the ball on that drive. And nobody knew at that point in time until later in the day that on that touchdown run, that was the play where he suffered the collapsed lung. So Nebraska almost lost to Wyoming that day once he did see the field as the starter. And it was a, it was a tight fit game and it wasn't supposed to be. Brooke may be changing the play here. He has him on the eye set. Four down lineman for Wyoming. He fakes the give to the fullback on the keep is Brooke. He keeps the ball inside the 20, inside the 15, the 10, the 5. Great downfield block and the touchdown. Touchdown by Nebraska's quarterback, Brooke Berenger. Into the eye set, Barringer may be changing the play here. Wide splits in the defensive line. Crowd comes to a hush, and first and ten takes the snap run. There's the option. Brooke on the carry, has a block by Schlesinger, and the five to the goal line for the touchdown. Brooke Barringer from ten yards out of the Huskers. Put another one on the board. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, people were concerned, and I think probably more concerned when Wyoming took a two-touchdown lead late, late in the first half. Husker Sports Network Originals are presented by JTEC Construction, the official exterior experts of Husker Nation. Find out more about this great Husker partner at JTECConst.com. Now back to Brooke, the life of a Husker legend. Well, I think the thing about the way he went through that year was that, you know, he had his his injuries, his lung issues, we all didn't know about it until after the fact. For example, he started that next game after the Wyoming game. He started against Oklahoma State, 
and his you know he was he was hurting he was x-rayed at halftime and he was done for the day i don't think anybody knew that he was done for the day when they went to the locker room but he was and he spent the night in the hospital but you know you watched Beringer playing with a flak jacket on and i think in the rearview mirror people were more impressed with his toughness when you stop to consider what he went through that season and the question everybody's wondering about right now regarding NU's quarterback situation is this. Brooke Behringer has been cleared to play this afternoon. However, Matt Terman will start. Behringer is available. We'll just have to see how it goes, whether or not he'll be forced into service this afternoon. Here we go, and Brooke Behringer in there at quarterback for Nebraska in for Matt Terman. Second and ten Huskers, 19-yard line of Kansas State. 7-6 NU with time running out in the first half. Brooke looks at that Kansas State defense, trying to change the play. In the eye set, flanker left, one end right. Brooke under center, Bill Humphrey takes the snap. Play fake, wants to throw, protection holds. He's got ball deep, throws it long. It's inside the ten, inside the five, and the touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. It is first and ten Cornhuskers, 30-yard line of CU, 10.55 left, third quarter, Nebraska 17 to nothing, double tight ends, smash mouth look, with the three backs in the backfield and the snap to Behringer, drops back to throw off the play fake, he's got Alford there, inside the five, touchdown, touchdown, touchdown to Eric Alford! waiting for the snap, takes it, he gives it on a, no, a bootleg, throws it in the end zone, there's a touchdown! And a Mark Gilman deep in the right corner of the end zone. And it is Brooke on an option play. Brooke on the keep inside the 25, inside the 20, inside the 15, to the 14-yard line. Brooke Berenger can pick him up and put him down. He had Stye and Muhammad blocking ahead. Ted Johnson on the tackle. But I'm telling you, a guy that's 6'4", and as lanky looking as he is, is misleading in terms of how quick he is. He doesn't look that fast, but he'll turn a 4-6-40, 11 yards on the pickup, thanks to Sean Buckley and Nebraska first and 10. Brook is under center, takes it back, option play, drops back the throw out of it, looks long, he's got Abdul, he's beat the defense, it is touchdown! Touchdown, Abdul Muhammad, touchdown! So Nebraska, facing third and long with Iowa State and all the momentum in the world with two clutch passes, Barringer to Abdul Muhammad on both of them. And one of the things I, I thought about during the year that year was how, to what extent, the play calling was affected. You know, I, I think you were going to see fewer quarterback runs because Tommy was the quintessential running quarterback and Brooke was supposedly, you know, the same as far as being a thrower. And the thing, again, when you think about that year, because of the injuries to both Frazier and Beringer, think about how important those backs were to that team and how they dominated, and they had to dominate. But... How many guys are going to play with a, his long 40% collapsed and keep going out there and, and ask for more? So it's all about you know, his legend. And, you know, it's more impressive as time goes by, as I think about it. Well, Brooke was tough. I mean, that's one thing that, you know, I, I knew and got to see firsthand. Matter of fact, the little funny story is, uh, you know, I mentioned that he and he and I roomed with with Phil Ellis, and Phil Ellis was our, our one of our co-captains on our '95 team as our starting middle linebacker. Well, he and Brooke got into this wrestling match in our basement, and I was like, "Oh boy, this isn't good." Um, and it was just us three down there, and being typical, you know, at that time probably 20 year old males, they they were gonna they were gonna battle to the end, if you will. And 
I remember Phil giving it his all and Brooke giving his all and nobody beat anybody in that in that match. And that's pretty that's a pretty uh bold thing to do when you're I don't know many quarterbacks that could uh you know take on your starting middle linebacker on your team and and go toe to toe with them. And uh, he did that. In 1994, Brooke went 7 and 0 as a starter. He threw for over 1200 yards and 10 touchdowns while completing over 62% of his passes. Brooks' play was good enough to help lead Nebraska back to the Orange Bowl, where they were set to clash with the Miami Hurricanes. However, despite Brooks' success, it was Frazier who won back the starting job during Nebraska's final scrimmage in Miami on Christmas Eve. I don't recall exactly when or if Coach Osborne announced publicly that that he was going to start Frazier instead of Beringer. All I remember was that's the way it unfolded. And I think everybody was, all fans would have been good either way. You know, I mean, you understood why he might start Brooke. You understood why he'd come back with Tommy if Tommy were were healthy. And, and that goes back to, you know, the the way most coaches, their philosophy is if you, went, if you lost your job because of injury, you really didn't lose your job. So Frazier was ready to go. I do remember it being a little bit weird exciting at the same time think about that those two weapons going into a game like that and so really it was more about uh, the principle of the matter um you know brooke had gotten us there and we, we felt at that point you know that brooke should have gotten the nod uh, but at the same time i i still believe in the system uh and you know as you know practice speaks for itself how you grade out and the coaches had to be comfortable with it and and I think, um, you know, the conversations amongst ourselves was, you know, either one of these guys could lead us to a national championship. Um, certainly, Brooke has put in the time and, and paid his dues throughout the season and, and came in and, and really saved the day for us. You know, um, it was a little strange, um, you know, seeing Tommy back out there, you know, practicing down in Miami and the two of those guys competing rep after rep, and then the coaches making the decision in the end. Coach Osborne had to call on Beringer to rally the team. And one thing I think about is what would have happened if Coach Osborne had decided, no, I'm going to stick with Tommy. I can't let, you know, like we're down 10 to nothing, but I can't, I don't want to suggest that we need to make a change. But he did make a change, and, and Beringer, you know, rallies the team. And what a great story, you know, when you think about the, the nuances of, of what happened, including, you know, Brooks' contribution during his career and in that game. And it is Brooke Beringer. Beringer, the 6'4", 210-pound junior who guided Nebraska to seven straight wins when Tommy was on the shelf. Threw a couple of interceptions in the scrimmage here, and that allowed Tommy to earn the starting job. And when the second quarter begins, Beringer will be at the controls, first and 10 Nebraska, at their own 29-and-a-half-yard line behind 10 to nothing. Beringer at the controls as the Cornhuskers take over in good field position at the Miami 40. Here we go, Cap. Huskers need something on this possession. First and 10, Nebraska at the 19-yard line of Miami. Double tight ends, full house backfield. Huster Johnson in motion to the left side out of that. Brook drops back, rolls to the right, run pass option. He's got Matt Shaw. Matt Shaw's in there. Matt Shaw's in there for the touchdown. Mark Gilman's got the ball. Mark Gilman for the touchdown. On a run pass option, first and 10 at the 19 yard line of Miami. Rolls to the right as Gilman on a late release on the right side at tight end got into the end zone for the touch. You know, at the time, it was kind of business as usual. 
the coaches did such a great job in kind of taking the temperature of what was happening offensively for us during the game. And as the game wore on, it was evident that you know running the football uh, and running the option and running the short trap and those those type of plays were going to just really put us in a position to wear them down and you know have an explosive play here and there and you know again you know Brooke came in and you know at the beginning of the game and he broke the ice for us with Mark Gilman you know that was kind of cool those two guys hooking up for that first touchdown and you know in Miami's defense uh, stifled Brooke and you know if you look back I mean heck, I think we had like five turnovers in that game it was it was kind of crazy and so when when Tommy and Brooke you know when they would come in and out it was uh for me, it was like business as usual. I had enough to deal with, you know, with Warren Sapp and, you know, that entire defense. Um, they are so fast. But again, I thought it was a credit to the coaches and, and really taking the temperature of where we were in that game and how he substituted those both those guys in and out. We got 21 seconds to go. 20, 19, 18. Nebraska will win the national championship. The Cornesters beat Miami 24 to 17 and win the national title. Tom Osborne just got Gatorated. There's the last second of the game, and it is official. It is history. 13-0. And bring that trophy back to Lincoln. With Tommy Frazier set to return in 1995, Beringer spent the vast majority of his senior season on the bench in a backup role, a role that he took with grace and humility. The main thing was that... Um, the next year, they both came back, and they were both well. And uh, and I think there were players on the team that favored one or the other. So what we did is just threw it open. We said, well, whoever grades the best in fall camp will be the starter. And we really had a very talented team that year. And uh, it probably wasn't going to make a lot of difference which one played because we had such a great supporting cast. But I think Brooke had one interception in fall camp, and Tommy had none, so we gave the ball to Tommy. And I think that was a significant thing about Brooke was that, you know, a lot of guys would have tried to lead a revolt or make a mess out of things, and Brooke didn't do that. He uh, he said the right thing, did the right thing. I knew it hurt him badly not to start, but he held things together. Tommy had a great year. We had a great team. Nobody came close to us that whole year, and we beat Florida at the end by 40 points or something like that. And it was the best team that I coached that year. So anyway, I had a lot of respect for him in in regard to how he handled himself. One of the things maybe that helped Brooke was that the knowledge that he had played the previous season when Tommy had been injured and that he was he was effective and he was capable. And he probably knew that, you know, at any given time it could happen again. But I think that the other thing maybe that was going on for him is that he had a suspicion that he had a future uh, in the in the NFL after after his senior year, regardless of, of uh, whether he played or not. So all of that combined probably probably contributed to how Brooke Mariner hung in there in '95 as a backup after his instrumental role in '94. You know, looking back, I remember thinking to myself, you know, I mean, Brooke, gosh, I mean, he'd be starting anywhere else in the country. But knowing his personality, you know, and understanding that at any given moment, uh, the guy, you know, the guy in front of him could go down. And, you know, that team was confident in, in having Brooke uh, being that backup. 
it was unfortunate, but again, Tommy, you know, Tommy had a Heisman Trophy winning season. I think he got robbed in the end. Um, so there was no denying, you know, the level of play that Tommy, you know, afforded the team. Brooke was obviously disappointed. But, you know, let's let's don't sugarcoat it and say, look, he was just a, a, a he was happy to be in the backup position. It, that, that that certainly wasn't the case. But you know, he had really grown close in his um, relationship with Christ that year, and um, and it showed. And he took the position that he was going to make the best of it, and um, he was going to use some of his influence that. He had, especially with the, the kids in, in the state of Nebraska, and um, I think really be a, um, kind of a you know potential father figure or, or somebody they could look up to as uh, someone that they could uh, you know want to emulate and be. And, and he certainly utilized that time to to really uh, give back to the community. I mean, he it's not like he didn't have more that he wanted to prove. He certainly proved himself enough in that junior year in 94, you know, to uh, know his value forever in Nebraska football history. Between his volunteer work and time spent with the football team, Brooke also had a passion for flying. Beringer had hundreds of flying hours logged and his professional pilot's license. Yeah, well, I don't recall if he had earned his pilot's license prior to coming to Lincoln, but I, I want to say that he had some training that he still needed to do um, while he was at school. And I uh, know he completed it and, you know, I had a chance to fly with him many times. It was it was definitely a passion of his. We, we'd fly in these little Cessna 152s and, you know, at that time I'm probably 6'4", 285 pounds, and Brooke was 6'4", probably 220 pounds. And the very first time we went to go take off, and what I call a go-kart with wings on it. Um, we're, we're tight in the cab and he goes to pull back on the rudder as we're going down the runway and it's hitting my knee and he's like, move back, move back. And I'm I'm like, yeah, move back. You know, like, I, like we're going 70 miles an hour. And I finally wedged my legs underneath low enough so he could pull the steering mechanism so that we could take off. And I was like, that's how the first time we flew together was. And But he was a good pilot. He loved to challenge himself in the air. He also loved to go to the Lincoln Municipal Airport and, and request that we could do touch and goes on their on their runway, which just to me seems like that shouldn't even be permissible. Maybe they don't even allow that anymore. This would have been early 1990s, but I remember one time them controlling the air traffic that was coming in on commercial flights because, you know, Brooke was he, he, he was persistent on the idea of asking permission to be able to run on these, to land on these runways and do touch and goes. And they, the initial response was always like, no way, turn around, get out of here. And he would somehow convince them to allow us to go do that. And, and so, you know, we, we'd do two or three and I'd be like, we, let's go. We get, there, are, there are jumbo jet aircraft around this thing and we're in a little, little go-kart with wings here, so. On April 18, 1996, Brooke Beringer and his girlfriend's brother, Toby Lake, borrowed a friend's plane from a private airstrip just outside of Lincoln. Brooke had flown that exact same plane a dozen times, but on that warm, windy day in April, it all ended in tragedy. Investigators later determined the plane lost power during its initial climb. With wind gusts reaching up to 28 miles per hour, Beringer failed to maintain control of the aircraft he and his passenger perished when the plane took a nosedive into an alfalfa field near the airstrip. Beringer 
was only 22 years old. We were actually scheduled to speak at a FCA banquet. Tony Velan was there with me. Uh, Coach Osborne was, was was planning to be there, and certain, and so was Brooke. And it was actually Coach Osborne who had broke the news to Tony and I, and I just couldn't believe it. I mean, it was beyond shock, really. And it, it was one of those things that we elected to move forward. Uh, there were several hundred people who were at that FCA banquet, and we decided to move forward and not cancel the event since we, it was only minutes away. And, you know, at that that point in time, it just it didn't hit me till obviously later when, you know, really, really had a chance to sink in. But uh, just speechless, you know, there was cameras in our face afterwards and I, I really couldn't muster the, the, the words to say what I felt and just still couldn't believe it. Earlier in that day, we were we were taking like a an excursion trip on one of those trimarans, and this guy taps me on the shoulder, and I had a Nebraska Citrus Bowl shirt on. He goes, "Hey, did did you play with a guy named Brooke Beringer?" And I said, uh, "Well, yeah." He goes, "You know, I think he died today." And I go, "What are you talking about?" You know, just like what? And he goes, "Yeah, I thought I saw you know something about uh, you know his his years on 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 Earth and you know whatever." they were talking about it. I said yeah I kind of brushed off because the the draft was in a week so I figured they were just talking about Brooke and and I was just hoping you know against everything that that was not the case and the day went on and I forgot about it and we got back um, we went to a bar Justin Jennifer and I and Kena went back to the boat well as we're walking back to the boat before it takes off Kena's leaning out the side of the boat and she goes did you know Brooke and that's when it hit me and so I went upstairs, and it's it's amazing how you know as as the world we live in today, uh, how news travels, how fast it traveled to me on that boat in the middle of nowhere. And went up, and I made a call to Mark Gilman, and he was just beside himself, distraught. And and that, that's how I found out. I was the uh, operations manager slash program director for KFAB at the time. And, you know, I was coming off that 95 season. So I had spent a long day at the radio station and I got, I was driving home and, it, you know, it broke on the radio. And I can't even put into words how uh, it affected me because, you know, it was such a tragedy in and of itself. But I, at the same time, was going through, you know, I was, I was at the precipice of being put out to pasture for my, my own future and it all came crashing down at the same time. And really, the combination of that happening and then losing the football job myself, I think that's when I kind of became clinically depressed for a number of years, really. But that was that was just, a, you can't explain what a, a, a terrible blow that was to, to hear that on the, on the radio. It was kind of like, um, for Nebraska football fans, that had a 9-11 day feel to it that afternoon and you know for the days that followed it it really did i had a phone call from must have been somebody from the sheriff's office and they they weren't real sure of uh, the identity at that time and they were a little concerned because i think brooks pickup was parked at the little landing strip I didn't even know he was flying that little plane, to tell you the truth. 
but I knew he was interested in flying. And so uh, this little Piper Cub was what he was flying that day. Eventually, they, I went out there with uh, a couple other guys. I think Ron Brown was with me and a guy who had sort of been a spiritual mentor to Brooke that went along. And uh, we came there, there wasn't much left, uh, just a little metal framework of the airplane because it burned. And uh, we very quickly knew that that had to be the plane that Brooke was in because of his pickup. And uh, so it was a pretty, pretty tough day. Pretty tough week. I remember we had the spring game just a few days later, and uh, they had a tribute to uh, Brooke that they played up on the video screens, and uh, that was pretty pretty tough to watch. And I think it was for all of our players. You know, the other thing that Brooke and I had in common is that we both lost a parent before we got to the university. I lost my mom with cancer my senior year, and he lost his dad to cancer at a much younger younger age. I think, you know, us both dealing with, with death at the level that we did at a younger age allowed me to focus on the things that I truly appreciated about our relationship and all the great qualities that he offered. And, you know, I try to remember, keep those things at the, at the forefront of my mind. And he obviously died tragically at a young age, but he lived a, uh, a pretty fantastic life in the few short years he was here. There was plenty of speculation about what Beringer's future was in the NFL, a story left untold. Brooke would eventually have his name called at the 1996 draft. However, it wasn't in the way anyone could have imagined. In the National Football League and in sports generally, the death of uh, Brooke Beringer, the university quarterback, University of Nebraska quarterback who lost his life this week in an airplane accident. I would ask you to join us uh, in a moment of silence. You know, there was a lot going on in my life at that time. You know, his death occurred the day before the NFL draft, and I was I was drafted uh, in the fourth round that that uh, subsequent day. But you know, we planned a a draft party at my home in, in Texas, and I had a bunch of family members who, friends who um, were making the travels to come over, and I felt like it was best to probably go be with them. You know, I don't know if I'd do it any differently. They, uh, his funeral was, you know, that during that time period, and, um, you know, I didn't get a chance to be at his funeral. So I felt like, you know, there was still some closure that I, I had to deal with. Oh, I, that, I definitely think he had a chance, uh, you know, and so often in professional sports, the NFL included, it depends on, you know, who takes you, where you wind up, and what needs are, etc. But I think, you know, the consensus was that he would have been probably better suited for the NFL than, than the college game even. I mean, this guy had such a feathery touch throwing the football. And he was a better runner than he was given credit for. That's that's the other thing that is an interesting caveat to that part of Nebraska football history. You know, he, Beringer was better as a runner than people thought. Tommy had the stronger arm, really, throwing the ball. But Beringer had such great touch that, uh, you know, I, you could see him as an NFL quarterback performer. 
because Brooke, you know, his forte uh, was, you know, I mean, certainly a great athlete and could run the option, but he could also throw the football. Um, he had kind of that NFL stature about him, you know, 6'4", uh, very athletic, could move around in the pocket. He had talent, and uh, I know there was quite a bit of interest on the part of the NFL in him, and uh, so that plane crash was kind of a uh, tragic event because I'm sure he would have been drafted. It probably wouldn't have been a first or second round pick, but maybe maybe as high as third, fourth, fifth round, and uh, you know I think he'd had a reasonably good chance to make it just because of his his height and his throwing ability and his character. So it was a uh, quite a blow to everybody involved. I also think that, you know, Brooks showed enough in that 94 season to grab the attention of, of the pro scouts. And, you know, the, a lot of people are aware, and, and I confirmed this with his mom, Jan, several years ago when we were together, because I, I just hadn't heard it directly from her. I'd heard others talk about it, but, um, you know, the Denver Broncos were, were planning on taking him with one of their draft picks um, in that 96 draft and saddens me to to think about that because Brooke was a Broncos fan he grew up, grew up in Goodland Kansas about three hours or so away from Denver and that'd be a dream come true for anybody to be able to play for your your closest uh, uh, NFL team that you supported. Beringer had a profound impact on everyone that surrounded him especially his coaches and teammates. I think when you're 18 to 21 years old, you always think you're going to live forever. And then when that doesn't happen and you see see that in a teammate, somebody you know, uh, a lot of guys at that point kind of reflected on uh, where their life was headed. So he had a, a strong impact on uh, the whole program, really. But he was, he was a guy that uh, I was in that room with him for five years because uh, I was in the quarterback meetings and ran the quarterback meeting. So we got to know each other quite well. He loved to hunt and fish. And uh, I remember one time I, I have a piece of property up northwest of Lincoln, not a very big place, and I had a problem with some coyotes. And I said, uh, Brooke, you, you think you could get a coyote? And he said, well, I think so. I remember he, he brought me a picture of this coyote. He'd called it in, shot it, and I remember how he was very, very proud of that accomplishment. That was kind of the guy, kind of guy he was, and uh, just a generally good person. A guy that held things together for us uh, during a really critical time. When I really feel Brooks' presence is uh, whenever I get a chance to go out, you know, pheasant or quail hunting, and uh, those many, many times that he and I were together. You know, there's certain people that you, you meet that you know, have this lasting impression in your memory. You close your eyes, you see their face. And every time I close my eyes, I see Brooks smile, you know, and kind of that, that witty laughter uh, that he always had. You know, the impact that he had on my life was, he was a genuine human being, very compassionate, cared about, you know, his teammates, you know, his parents, you know, his girlfriend. And, you know, it was just, you know, it's, it's so sad. You know, they always talk about the good die young and it's unfortunate. We live in a world where, you know, it's reactionary um, after the fact, and, you know, we prepare for the worst after we know how to prepare it. How do you ever prepare for something like that? I mean, it's just, whenever you lose somebody at a young age, you know, you start to reflect 
about how you live your life and you know would it be the life that that person in this case Brooke would have lived and so you know I think uh, you know the message that that Brooke would that he would want everybody to know is that you know don't take this life for granted treat people like you want to be treated and and uh, cherish every moment you've got on earth in 2006 Nebraska native Fred Hoppy created a sculpture of Beringer that still sits just outside of North Stadium. The statue depicts Beringer and Coach Osborne standing side by side, ensuring that Brooke would be memorialized forever. So when somebody came to me about the idea of a statue, <laughs> I hate statues, and I said, no, I'm not gonna have any statue. And then the, the guy who did it, uh, I think kind of knew and my weakness, they said, well, what about if we put Brooke there? And I said, well, yeah, it makes some sense. Because Brooke really symbolized to me some the best of some of our athletes. So anyway, that's how that came to be. Well, I think that, um, you know, young people come through and, and, and see what's outside the stadium there, um, including Brooke's statue, and they hear the stories. And I think it all comes together, all of it to embody what the the culture and the history of the program is and you know I think it uh, I think it adds a lot to the story you know I think his off the field endeavors you know giving back to the community have been very well written about but how how genuine that really was behind the scenes you know he was such a great guy off the field uh, but on the field highly competitive i've been around a few quarterbacks in my time that had that kind of that competitive edge and brooke was all about that i mean he was just about you know competing and being a great teammate on the field and you see that with teammates obviously with coach osborne and so for him to be you know immortalized in that statue in the front of the stadium every time you know a student athlete football player all athletes you know nebraska fans whoever enters that stadium understands that you know that's that's the important thing here is you know it's not all about you uh, it's about what you can give and and i think that uh, brooke uh, represented that as as well as coach osborne i don't think there's any question about it when you walk into the north stadium at Mor memorial stadium and you see coach osborne's statue he didn't want that statue there but he said i'll tell you what i'll allow it if you put brooke next to me and i think that just says everything you need to know about their relationship and what coach osborne felt like his relationship was with with brooke Beringer. and you know i walk past that statue nearly every day and you know just uh reminds you how precious life can be and you know he did so much in his short time on this earth and i i'm you know one of the players that played here that's been lucky enough to receive the brooke Beringer citizenship award and I was a part of that for a couple of years as a player here, and and I know the the guys that have been a part of that over over the years have have always you know looked at him as an inspiration and somebody that led the way and doing the right thing off the field and helping children across the state and doing everything he could to use his platform as a Husker to make other people's lives better, and that's what Brooke was about. Well, I think for the people who knew him, that was the biggest part. I think for a lot of people, simply that he was very instrumental to our football team in 94 and uh, held us to the point where we had an undefeated season and played a part in the national championship game. But most of them probably 
if there's a special place in their heart, it's because of the plane crash and, and that happening not long after his career was completed. But I think for most of us who knew him, uh, our main devotion or dedication to Brooke was simply the kind of person that he was. And uh, we've had a lot of great players, but he probably had the most impact on our football team because of his character. And uh, it wasn't just because of his athletic ability. Well, I don't think he's been forgotten, and that's a good thing. Uh, I certainly haven't forgotten our teammates, my teammates, uh, you know, haven't forgotten him. Certainly the fans in Nebraska haven't. And that uh, we always make it a point to, you know, swing by the statue of Ian and Coach Osborne on the north edge of the stadium when we're down there and snap a photo with the family. And my daughter, we've got four children, my only daughter, we named, we gave her a middle name of, of uh, her name is Landry Brooke Graham and obviously named after after Brooke Barringer and um, she always uh, enjoys getting a you know a photo and understanding more of the stories in our relationship to understand why I would want to and both not just on me but her but her mom would have wanted to give give her his name. The proceeding has been a Husker Sports Network original. Brooke, the life of a Husker legend, was narrated by Ben McLaughlin. Produced by Josh Hilkeman, Tim Curran, Ben McLaughlin, and Austin Orman. With sound design by Brett Whitty. Special thanks to Paul Jake Jacobson. Subscribe to Husker Sports Network podcast for more great Husker Sports original episodes presented by JTech Construction.